Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Before we begin, we'd like to remind you that our ministry is supported 100% by listeners like you. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com slash donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website. All right, welcome to Revolution. Hello, 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 hello. Um, so today I wanted to talk a little bit about what, you know, what inspired me to get into ministry and well, maybe not inspired me to get into ministry, but what inspired me for a long time. Um, and that was the fact that I wanted to see a new church. I wanted to see the church change and have uh, just be a better place, be a safer place for people. And it's strange living in Minnesota because there are so many progressive churches here that legalism doesn't seem to be the biggest fight of the day here, which I'm sure there are plenty of legalistic churches here. But, you know, I don't hear a whole lot about them. I don't hear a lot about John Piper anymore, unless I, it's Rachel Held Evans. Sometimes she talks about him, but I don't hear a lot about him anymore. So, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about that and about Jesus and how Jesus handled legalism. So, Jesus rebukes the, it goes through a pretty big rebuke of the Pharisees and, um, Matthew 23. And so Matthew 23 was one of those things that inspired me. Um, Just seeing the trail of wounded people, you know, as I spoke, when I would speak all over the country, I used to uh, always encounter people who were hurt, disillusioned with the church. Um, Often they would come out to tell me that they appreciated what I was doing. Um, but that was came out of my own disillusionment and my own hurt, my own pain. And here you can see kind of Jesus dealing with that same thing. Um, in 23, 1, it says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the officials interpreters of the Scripture. So practice and obey whatever they say, but don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they teach. And here's the big part here is um, they crush you with impossible religious demands and never lift a finger to help ease the burden. And um, growing up, I felt those impossible demands all over me. You know, I felt like for the longest time, I felt like God hated me or God didn't approve of me, uh, that there was something wrong with me, you know. And um, and a lot of that came from just growing up in the church and reading, you know, listening to what people said and saying like, wow, you know, I can never live up to those things. I can't be that good of a person or I can't do this or that or I can't give up this and that. And so um, it felt impossible, you know. I I felt... Like something was wrong with me. 
and um, and I was trying to basically earn my salvation. Didn't help that I was uh, at the time when I really was under the guilt and the pain as I was an you know an active alcoholic trying to get into ministry and uh, just felt like there was no hope and that not even not even in my faith was there hope that I was a disappointment to the faith and so I felt those impossible religious demands and it says they never lift a finger to help ease the burden you know and that's how I felt until I met some people, you know, my friend D.E. Polk, you know, who really had a huge influence in my life and helped me in a lot of ways by just caring about me where I was at. And he helped ease the burden. Um, so much of the, You know, so much of that crushing of standards and so many of those impossible standards were just were the lack of loving people in the church. The lack of, uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't that so much that they were crushing you with impossible standards. It was just that they weren't doing anything to help you with the struggles. Um, Jesus goes on to say, everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra-wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside, and they wear extra-long tassels on their robes. And how they love to sit at the head of the table in the banquet in the most prominent seats in the synagogue. They enjoy the attention, they get on the streets, and they enjoy being called rabbi. I'm going to jump a little bit to 11, where it says, The greatest among you must be a servant, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And during one of the darker times of my life, it was a pastor who just almost made themselves a servant to me. They said, you know, if you're drinking or you're doing this, let me know. I'll come get you. You know, or I'm here for you. I'll listen to you. You know, and you need to talk. You know, whatever you need, I'm here. And um, and that that servitude, that that ability to just care, really was something that was starting to make me go like, "There's there's got to be something to this." Even though I thought that they were just trying to justify their own sin <laughs> because of the way I was raised, <laughs> like it's like, "Oh, well, they're just trying to by loving me, they're just trying to justify their own ways." But, um, no, you know, there was something transformative there. And the only thing I can really say was, you know, it was freeing. It was closest thing I can say to feeling the Holy Spirit. Um, Jesus goes on to talk about Pharisees again. How terrible it would be for you teachers of religious law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you won't let others enter the kingdom of heaven, and you won't go in yourself. Yes, how terrible it will be for you teachers of religious law, you Pharisees, for you cross land and sea to make one convert and then turn them into twice the sons of hell you yourselves are. And uh, you know, it's true. It was one of those things is that, you know, 
religion religion seems to make sense because it says be right, do this, and earn. You know, it's about earning and reaping what you sow, it seems like. And so it seems to make sense. Like, okay, I'll do this and I'll I'll be okay. I'll get in a little box. Um but that's not really how it goes but you know it's this whole thing of t- crossing land and sea to turn them twice the sons of hell as you are is something i saw a lot with it especially with the neo-calvinist movement you know um a lot of young people coming in and getting very on fire for jesus but also becoming very judgmental very you know if you're not this type of christian you're not a christian you know, a completely exclusive type of thing. And the reason, you know, one of the reasons I got into ministry was to to battle legalism and to see inclusiveness become some, a, a staple of the church. And I'm so glad to see it. You know, I pass this church by my house almost every day, and they have rainbow flags outside and always have like a positive message on their board, you know, like, you are loved, or all are welcome, or, you know, something like that, and it encourages me so much to see that, because I was like, you know, this is something that I felt like was never going to happen for years, you know, that it was this impossible standard to meet, and it was impossible to see this revolution take place, Um, but it has, and the main lines have got it, and I hope evangelicals will start to get it more, you know. So there is still that need to say, you know, we've got to be weary of legalism. We have to be careful of legalism because evangelicals still still are there, and they're a large majority of the United States. I don't know why, uh, besides Trump, besides, you know, they seem very quiet right now, um, besides their support for Trump, which is a whole weird oxymoron type of thing that is hard to understand. Uh, Really, anybody like trying to understand support Christians when they support their government and things like that is, to me, always it's a double-edged sword because we're called to love, love our enemies, do good to those, and often the government's not partial to that. Anyhow, uh, not to mention... Uh, I mean, just what's going on with 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 immigration, and, uh, just, and then the thing with all the kids being lost. And I mean, it's just horrible. It's horrible. It's horrible enough to have your parents taken away from you in in, in jail, but I mean, then to be lost in a system is that's turning. You know, that is. That's hell. That's, you know, and it's the opposite of the gospel. You know, children are are supposed to be held high and loved and taken care of and not made to suffer. You know, the Bible also talks about that, you know, how terrible it will be for when it would cause little ones to stumble. And uh, I'd say that is a case of causing little ones to stumble. Um, 
going to jump on down to 23. 23, 23. How terrible it will be for you teachers of religious law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you're careful to tithe even the tiniest part of your income, but you ignore the important things of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but you should not leave undone the more important things. Blind guides, you strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat. Then you swallow a camel. <laughs> it's so funny because that swallow the gnat thing, I always remember the first time I read that out loud, I said, gnat. <laughs> yeah, and that was really embarrassing. Um, but, you know, ignoring the important things, it's like, yeah, it's nice to give. It's nice to, to, to bless people. It's nice to do that, but... The most important thing is justice and mercy and faith. You know, don't leave these things done. And like we talked about last week, justice and mercy, you know, looks a lot like love. Never giving up, never losing faith, always being hopeful and during every circumstance. You know, back to here uh, in 11 where it said, The greatest amongst you must be a servant. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You know, it's just, that's that's showing mercy to people and justice, and and, and and we must fight for justice, you know, and equality, and and that's one of the things that I always wanted to see in the church, and I see more of it now. I mean, thank goodness for social media, because you're able to see people out there doing the work, doing good work, and so it's not as as doesn't feel as as hopeless as it did at one time. Um, but man, I want to see more justice and, 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 and really mercy. Um, it's such an important thing for people of faith to show to others because when you're coming to faith, you're often really broken and hurt, you know, and then to say, you know, here, be this. I mean, back to the whole neo-Calvinist thing. I mean, I just saw so many people in that whole, like, involved in that theology just burn out really fast and then not want anything to do with it and with religion anymore much less that theology you know just giving up christianity and uh and, and that's because they didn't see mercy they didn't see a merciful god they saw judgmental angry chauvinistic <laughs> god you know that they themselves eventually could not even live up to those standards um, you know, it's probably not a good theology if anybody's a second-class citizen, you know? And unfortunately, in that situation, you know, in a lot of those situations, you have women who are second-class citizens, you know? And they're saying, oh, no, it's just a different call, you know? <laughs> just don't let them speak in church. <laughs> you know, it's insane. Um and so we fight for that type of justice. But the point is, is you know, when people don't see mercy in their churches and they see this, this constant punishment or this constant raising the standard, you know, people are hurt. And, and, uh, and eventually bruised beyond, you know, no, I don't think beyond recovery, but for a lot of people... It, what seems like beyond recovery. 
How terrible it will be for you teachers of religious law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the, and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed, self-indulgence, blind Pharisees. First wash the inside of the cup, and then the outside will come clear. And I know for me that was part of it, is that, you know, in my own life I was... I was like if I could appear like everybody else. But the problem is is when you're a whitewashed tomb and when you're this clean on the outside and then full of dead rotten bones on the inside, no matter what that death is, um, you're selling a false product. You're saying, I can be good enough. I can do this. And so for me, growing up, seeing the pastor every Sunday going, oh, man, they seem to have it together. And, you know, seeing the great pictures of the family together and seeing all these good things and hearing all these good things and then meeting staff and hearing all these good things and going to youth group and going to all these different things and hearing good, good, positive, positive, positive. And no one seemed to be talking about really suffering or the challenges of the temptations in their lives, you know. And so it was this, you know, impossible standard that no one could meet because no one was talking about the rotten stuff on the inside, you know. Like, I get depressed a lot. I want to give up a lot, you know. Today, you know, it was one of those days where I didn't want to barely do the sermon, you know, and... Uh, and you know, because I've got this idea of man's approval and what I need to have and, and, and what I expect. And then I don't get those expectations of me and I feel lost inside or I felt in, in, insecure, insignificant. And uh, those things are inside a lot of us. And so many of us hurt and are full of pain. I mean, like, that was a great thing about a few weeks ago when we canceled service. You know, it was... I was, I mean, literally started sermon <laughs> and then had to ask for them to turn the recorder off and just said, can we just all take time to just sit together because I don't have what it, what I need right now. You know, I was tired. I was wounded. I had driven two hours. I was just exhausted. And it was like one of those things where I, I, I didn't have it. And, and I had to say, I don't. And that's saying, that's, that's, what I've learned about sharing the inside of the cup. I'm not trying to say that I'm the example. I'm just using my example, myself as an example, because that's all I know right now, you know, is, is me and, well, I'm parenting, <laughs> running around chasing children. I can talk about that. And that's also, <laughs> you know, talk about worrying about <laughs> examples. Um, that's a big one. Um, So longing for a church and a pastor and preachers who are transparent, who are willing to say, I doubt my faith, I suffer, I have questions, um, I have struggles, I have things that I don't do that are probably, the, or things that I do that aren't the best, most healthy things in my life. You know, longing to hear that and and Jesus is saying, you know, 
you've, you're, you're just all worried about appearance and you're not worried about heart stuff, you know. And uh, it's important to worry about heart stuff. It's important to worry about inside stuff. You know, I go to a psychiatrist because I've got inside stuff that I need help dealing with, you know. Um, I could try to appear perfect on the outside, but it would be, it, it just sets an impossible precedent for people to meet, and that's terrible. Goes on to say, just to reiterate the point, how terrible it will be for you teachers of religious law, you Pharisees, hypocrites, you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside and filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurities. You try to look upright, like upright people outwardly, but inside your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. So it just continues to kind of nail that that point of what does your heart look like? You know, what are you selling on the outside? Are you are you making it impossible for other people to live up to your standard that you make appearances? And so I realized growing up in church is that everybody was really good at lying. Everybody was really good at pretending to be what they weren't. And it was Sunday was that day. You know, for me, because everybody's happy and the smiles and everything is there, you know. And you think, wow, how can I do this? And, you know, we're like a hospital full of sick people, but we all don't want to admit we're sick. You know, we don't want to admit sick people anyway, but we also don't want to be, you know, so we're like, well, this is a hospital that doesn't take sick people. So if I want to be here, I can't be sick. (laughs) So I'll pretend that I'm well. You know, and then you got a lot of people just pretending. Um, and what does that do? It spreads more sickness. So yeah, it's a it's a it's a crazy place to be. One of the um, other verses that really inspired me during this time. I think I'm getting. was uh, Mark 2. In Mark 2, um, where Jesus gets sits down with Matthew. And it says, uh, Then Jesus went to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that gathered around him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphys, sitting at his tax collection booth. Come be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. I mean, that's radical right there. I mean, the guy's in the middle of collecting taxes. No one wants to look this guy in the eye because he can take half of what you have. Um, he's working for the Roman government. So he's seen as a, you know, he's decided to stick with the occupier rather than the occupied. You know, so he's seen as a traitor to his own people. Um tax collectors are greatly despised and this is who Jesus says yeah you know this is who I'm going to call you know this is who's going to be part of my group are people who seem despised and people who don't seem to belong um, and this is that night Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to be his dinner guests along with his fellow tax collectors and many other notorious sinners 
So, you know, it's not like Jesus says, you come eat with me. Don't eat with your friends anymore. Jesus says, let's, let's hang out. I'm going to come over to your house. And I, you know, and Jesus would have been seen as unclean for eating with tax collectors. You know, everybody's like, Jesus was sinless, white dove, you know. And, but that would have, to the religious leaders, that would have not been seen as sinless. He would have been seen as sinful for just, for the company that he kept. And uh, it says there are many. Me- there, it says there was many people amongst of this kind amongst the crowds that followed Jesus. So Jesus had something where he showed mercy, where he showed transparency, where he loved people enough that notorious sinners, as the New Living puts it, or tax collectors and notorious sinners, um, felt comfortable around Jesus. They felt that this was someone who, who accepted them and loved them. And he may have said, hey, you know, you got to get this right or that right. But it wasn't, obviously, it wasn't something that says, you're, we're scum, you're, you're horrible, I hate you. You know, I remember this preacher saying, God hates some of you. Yeah. It was a big Big, big pastor, too, you know, and he was like, you know, we just have to, God hates some of you. But that's theology getting in the way of the message of Christ. It's a theology and ideal that says, you know, well, it's got to be this way. And Jesus is obviously not, I mean, I don't see who Jesus hates. Even when he's rebuking the Pharisees, he's rebuking them because he wants them to come back, you know. And... uh He's rebuking them because he's worried about what is happening with religion because he's come to start a revolution. He's come to start a reformation of, of sorts that is, that is completely changing things. And he's trying to get these religious teachers and saying, listen, you guys are possible standards here. You know, you're stoning people, you're killing people, you're persecuting people with impossible standards. And... Um, So that night, Levi invited Jesus' disciples. Yeah, we got that part right. But when some of the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with people like that, they said to his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? And that's another one that always got to me was, I love it that they say that this translation says, why do they eat with such scum? Um, Thank goodness for a good paraphrase Bible. Um, but the, obviously the Pharisees were watching Jesus as Jesus was watching them. So they were amongst, amongst the followers that followed him because they're always around, you know, which is an interesting thing. And uh, they were always trying to trip him up with theological questions it just reminds me so much of growing up in the church and dealing with critics and them asking theological questions, you know, is, is it's a, such a familiar thing. Um, like, I'll get you with this one, you know. And that's the thing, that idea that I'm going to get you, you know. Is, is is something along the line of rejoicing that God's going to get you. God's going to get you. I'm going to get you. You know, 
this this not just addiction to certainty, but this addiction to being correct about everything. But he goes on and it says, uh, so the Pharisees are obviously watching. And they go, why does he eat with such scum? And it says, when Jesus heard this, he told them, and they obviously said it within time, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come to call sinners, not those who think they are good enough. Now, I've had people tell me, like, well, I don't want to be included in that, you know, sinner group. You know, it's, I've been told I'm bad my whole life. Now I've got to do this and be included in that. And I've always looked at it in the way of saying, well, uh, that's just saying we're amongst the people that Jesus called. Because Jesus is really saying here, not those who think they're good enough. You know, he's healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come to call sinners, not those who think they are already good enough. And I think that's an important way of looking at it, is saying, you know, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, a lot of religious people think they're good enough. And he's saying, no, I didn't come to call the people who are self-righteous and say I'm good enough. I've called those who I can't. I think is what Jesus is saying. I can't because they're not, there's this idea that they're not open to grace, that they think they've done it. And, uh, and I thought I had to do it. I wasn't open to grace for a long time because I thought it was all about what I did or didn't do. And, um, and here's Jesus saying, these tax collectors and these notorious sinners, they know who they are, they know what they are, and those are the people that I've come to call. You know? So Jesus says, I've come to call these folks, and, and these are the folks that we should love them with all we have. You know? Unfortunately, there's so many misguided people who want to live their life like a street preacher sign. You know? Repent. Do this. You know, not even realizing that repentance is just a change of mind you know, or a turning. It's not this horrible, awful thing that people have made it into, made it seem to be. But this played a big part of my life of wanting to see the church change. You know, realizing that I wanted to be friends with the people Jesus was. Because I was amongst those people. You know, I was more comfortable amongst the tax collectors and the notorious sinners. And that's how revolution one of the reasons the revolution started for me um, the second time around, I, me and some friends started it in Arizona, but then a couple of years later, I took a break and then started it again in Atlanta. But it was because I felt that there was all these people who were being ignored, or when they weren't being ignored, they were being preached at by people who were preaching change, 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 rather than you know, be who you are, you know, and, or rather than let, let the Holy Spirit convict you or let, you know, grow over time. You know what I mean? It was just this kind of thing of like, get right, get good, do this, you know, and it was like, you know, that's what creates the whitewashed tombs. That's what creates people thinking, I've got to be beautiful and right and looking on the outside, you know, because no one gets it right right away. And this also creates legalism 
because people go in and go, well, I was this and now I'm this. And so I've been to tell everybody else that they've got to be this way and act this way. And you get this just more impossible standards, more hypocrisy, more of this, rather than saying you're accepted. You are accepted the way you are. And that's what Jesus was saying by sharing a meal. Because it was a covenant. He was building a covenant with people when you shared a meal. That's why the Pharisees were so angry that he was eating with them. Not because they were just, it's not like if we just sit down and had a snack or sat down and had dinner. You know, it was Jewish tradition that if you shared dinner, if you shared a meal, you were building covenant. And that's what Jesus was saying is I'm building covenant with these people. These are my people. I'm identifying them to be with me and I'm with them. And so that was a huge impact. And that's why another reason the Pharisees were so angry is because Jesus is saying, these are my people. I am with them. I am one with them. And, uh, you know, people who aren't afraid to show what they are on the outside. So uh, I guess today's sermon is just or talk, I prefer talk, (laughs) is just a small reminder of, you know, for me, it's kind of reminiscing of why I first got into this thing was to hopefully see a church become a safer place. And I'm glad to report that I've, I've seen it evolve and become a safer place for a lot of people. Um, Unfortunately for me, I, a lot of the people that I started off with and wanted to see it become a safer for kind of excommunicated me when I took a stand for my LGBTQ brothers and sisters. So a lot of these evangelicals that I was speaking at conferences and speaking at summer things and like that, as soon as I took that stand, they said, oh, we can't have you anymore. <laughs> You're untouchable. And... uh and that message became harder to bring to my evangelical brothers and sisters. And that's the thing. It's even with like Rob Bell, you know, he wrote that book, Love Wins, and got written off by a lot of his evangelical brothers and sisters. And then he writes a book like about the Bible, which I think, man, I wish more evangelicals would read this book because it's this great book about the Bible and it's so clear about what the Bible is and what it means. But he's been written off, you know, saying as a heretic, so we can't, you know, and it's just so sad when we write people off like that, you know, because, you know, we we can't have conversations like we used to and we can't encourage change. And both sides miss out on relationship. And, you know, the Bible talks about begging us to be united and to be of one mind and one heart. You know, um, I think there's a lot of things that we can agree on, like feeding the hungry, you know, seeing equality in people's lives, you know, um, social justice, but unfortunately, those things haven't tied the bind, you know, haven't bound us together. Um, It seems like we could put our theological differences aside and become something else, but as long as legalism is alive 
and we have these things that, you know, because legalism is when we put theology above one another. Just what it is. And as long as our theology is putting us above other people, whether we're liberal or conservative, uh, it's going to keep us from being what we're supposed to be, and it's going to keep the body of Christ from being what it's supposed to be. And it's a kingdom divided, and eventually it falls. That's what happens, unfortunately. And I don't want to see that happen. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this today, because I still have hope in a church that can change in a church that can be unified uh, through love and grace and can learn to disagree in loving ways and be a family again. Thanks a lot for listening. This is Revolution Church.